Lord, speak to us. I pray, God, right now for spirit of focus, and I pray against every spirit of distraction right now. We look to you, God. We open up our ears, we open up our hearts to hear and to listen to your voice today. Help us not to go backwards, God. Help us to look forward and to truly be transformed more and more into your image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray right now as you transition, I pray, God, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be pleasing in your sight, O God. God, I ask for humility. I ask, God, for your spirit of gentleness. I pray for your spirit of focus. And I pray, Father God, that you just give me words of wisdom to speak truth today. Father, we love you. We thank you. Pray all these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ, I pray. And God's people pray. Amen. And amen. Let's sit down and let's all turn to our neighbor and take a moment to greet and give a big smile. So the title today, the message of today is called The Danger of Apostasy. Turn to your neighbor and say apostasy. Now, Joshua Harris, if you know him, in USA Today headline, an article that said, in quote, unquote, he wrote the Christian case against dating. Now, he is splitting from his wife and faith. Now, he is known, he is famous from his books on dating. Well, I should say on not dating. He's focusing on courtship. I've read his books when I was younger. And here is the truth. The truth is that when you are in Christ, There is no way that we can walk away from our faith. If you do, you never truly were in Christ. Let's start with the main scripture today. 1 John chapter 2, 18 to 19. The title says, Warnings Against Denying the Son. I'm going to start from verse 18. It says this, Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. Focusing on this. This is how we know it is the last hour. Verse 19. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. Meaning not of us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But they're going. But they went out, showed that none of them belonged to us. Meaning they were not of us. How? By going. They had left. So let's go over the definitions again. What apostasy means, what impenitent means, what blasphemy means. Apostasy, definition of apostasy is this. Deliberately making a conscious choice, decision to no longer follow Jesus Christ. Follow after Jesus Christ. What is the definition of impenitent? It's not feeling shame. If you do something wrong, you have no shame. You have no regret about your wrong. You are stubborn. You are unrepentant. You have no remorse. What does it mean by blasphemy? Blasphemy means heart becoming so hardened to the point that your heart is no longer moved by God. I'm going to say it again. Your heart is so hardened to the point, it's become a rock that you are no longer moved by God. And that is the most dangerous place for you to be in. Due to your continuous rejection, I'm going to say it again, continuous rejection and rebellion against God. If you see a dead body for the first time, you may freak out. But if that's what you do every day, you handle dead bodies over day in, day out, you become numb to it. And that's what happens when we continue to dive into sin over and over, the same sin over and over again. And you tell yourself that it's okay, it's not a big deal. Then your heart becomes so hard to the point where you are no longer 
moved by God. So the result of these three things, apostasy, impenitence, and blasphemy, the result is no fear of God. Turn to your neighbor and say, no fear of God. Pastor Blackaby said this, when you lose the fear of God, you lose the fear of sin. I'll say it again. When you lose the fear of God, you lose the fear of sin. And when you lose the fear of sin, you are headed for judgment. Meaning as Christians, the more you know, the more you come to church every Sunday, the more you learn about the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ, the more you'll be held responsible. The more you know, the harsher the judgment. And we learn about the story about Eli and the sons. We learn that how Eli and the sons, they were crooked, they were evil, they had no reverence towards God. They were so casual in their approach to worship to God. And we learn that in verse Samuel chapter 3, verse 14, tells us, Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offerings. Now let's go to our second main scripture. Is found in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 to 31. It says this, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, and again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Third scripture, Mark three twenty nine says, But whoever blasphemes, Turn to your neighbor and say, blasphemes. Blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They will be guilty of eternal sin. And then the last one, John 6, verse 66. It says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Turn to your neighbor and say, no longer followed him. Now, you may be sitting here today, casually, relaxed, but I want you to be on your toes today. As you listen to this message, I want you to be alert and ready. Do not become casual in the way that you hear the voice of God. What God is trying to speak to us. He's speaking to us right now as a church. Especially, it's not just for our church, but it's for this generation. And I'm talking to you guys today about committing, the danger of committing intentional sins. I'm talking about knowing good. But you are choosing bad. You are continually sinning. You are continually diving in that sin when you know that you're not supposed to be in that place. The scripture is very clear that when you dive, when you commit intentional sins, and let's not get confused, that there's a vast difference between, number one, a person who continues to be saved by grace, and number two, let's read it together. Number two is what? Who continues to reject grace, meaning they do not live by grace. First one is they have access to grace. Second, they do not live by grace. What do I mean by this? Meaning if a person, if you, you as an individual, if you're sitting here and you're continually living in apostasy, 
And if you live in apostasy for too long, it's prolonged and dragged out in your sin and your self-indulgences, and you continue to refuse the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and you do not repent, and you do not respond to God's call. And as scary as it is for me to say, as I'm up here saying it to myself and to you, that it equals damnation. According to the scriptures, according to Hebrews 10, those who do not engage in true worship, and if you do not persevere every day, you will fall away and you will get lost. And that is the scary reality. Now, I know there are many theologies in regard to this. Uh, personally, you know, I'm still wrestling with it. And I've, I've wrestled with this for a long time. We know about the main ones with Calvinism, Arminianism, their view on grace, you know, election versus predestination. You know, what does it mean? Which one is the truth? You know, Arminianism is a concept of reformed theologian that says that a person, a man, a human being may resist the Holy Spirit. So salvation, it falls on the person. It's the sinner's choice of Christ, not God's choice of the sinner. So what Arminianism means that you, Antonia, you have the choice to make the decision whether you're going to run towards God or you reject God. It says the person has that responsibility. Calvinism, on the other hand, it branches from Protestantism and it follows a theological tradition. It says that it's God's choice of the sinner. It's God that chooses you, not the sinner's choice of Christ, but God's choice of the sinner. So we see it even in Judaism, in the Old Testament, we see it. Judaism has a long custom of intentional sins versus unintentional sins. Number 15, just to read for our reference, it says this. If just one person sins unintentionally, unintentionally means, oh, I didn't mean to, I didn't know. That person must bring a one-year-old female goat for a sin offering. The priest is to make atonement before the Lord for the one who erred by sinning unintentionally. And when atonement has been made, that person will be forgiven. One and the same law applies to everyone who sins unintentionally. Just talking about unintentional sins. Whether a native-born Israelite or a foreigner residing among you, but anyone who sins defiantly, meaning intentionally, knowing what you have to do, but yet you do it anyway. The wrong that you're not supposed to do, but you do it anyway, whether native-born or foreigner, blasphemes the Lord and must be cut off from the people of Israel because they have despised the Lord's word and broken his commands. They must be what? Surely cut off, and their guilt remains on them. So in reality, in the Jewish context, in Judaism context, just to simplify, the one who knew what to do and what not to do was set to a higher standard. That individual will be punished more severely by God, more strictly than the one who was ignorant. We learned about this during Bible study in our lessons. Every week you guys come and you learn the truth of the word of God. You'll be held more responsible. Why? Because the more you know, the more you'll be held responsible. And you know, Marvel stole that from the Bible, right? With greater power comes greater responsibility. Spider-Man. But that comes from the scripture. That the more you know, the more you'll be held responsible. So according to Numbers 15, in the Jewish context, people assume that as long as I bring an animal as sacrifice, then my sin is good and I'm clean and that's it. But the true question is, are you really that arrogant 
thinking that God is like a magical genie, that he's like a get-out-of-the-jail-free card, that as long as you bring an animal, then your sins will be forgiven. It says right here, we just read, that anyone who sins defiantly, whether native-born or foreigner, blaspheme the Lord, and they must be cut off from the people of Israel, because they have despised the Lord's word and broken his commands. They must be cut off, surely cut off. Their guilt remains on them. And we understand that whenever we use God as our lucky boxers, whenever we use God as our magical genie, just when we need him, we call out to him, we pray to him, then we understand that we are in a very dangerous place. The fact that we can use God, the fact that you have the audacity to think that we could use God to get out of a jail card as our magical genie. And the truth is, guys, the answer is that we have to be genuinely repentant before God. You have to repent before God, and you cannot continue to live in your continual sin. Meaning, in this context, the topic of the danger of apostasy, unrepentance, apostasy, will make you lose your salvation. Ananias, Sapphira, in the book of Acts, with the story of Pharaoh when he sees all the miracle over and over again, yet his heart is hardened to the point where it says God hardened his heart. It doesn't mean God hardened his heart. Pharaoh, he hardened his own heart. God was giving him chances after chances after every miracle over and over again for him to open his eyes. But he went to the place of no return. So what apostasy means, guys, is a place of no return. When you get to that place of apostasy, that means it is too late for you to come back. And we see the story of Judas. That's exactly what happened. Later we're going to tackle more. But what happened with Judas? It's that he felt remorse. He felt bad. But yet he hung himself and he died. That's not repentance. And we're going to get to that later. So this message is very crucial. It's very important for us to remember and to understand. And the truth of the gospel is this. There's two flip sides of the truth. The first truth is this. And this is where Christians, pastors, we, we focus on. And yes, and this is the most important thing. And that part is that God loves you. That is the truth and the reality of the gospel. This is a fact. This is a reality. This is the gospel. John 3.16. It cannot be changed. There's absolutely nothing that you can do or cannot do for God to love you anymore or for God to love you any less. God created the earth and he set it in motion perfectly in rotation. If it goes this way, we burn. If it goes this way, we freeze. Just the right degree of access, just so that the earth can be a habitable place for us to live as human beings, to live, and just so that he can create you and love you. And Psalm 139 reminds us that he knew us, that he loves us, that he knew us, that he had a plan for us before we even came to be, that when we were in our mother's womb, that he had a plan and a purpose for us, for he knew us, it says. Meaning God's love is real. But here's the other flip side of that coin. And this is the part where we don't speak enough and we should. That God's wrath is also very real. His wrath is real. The wrath of God is real. The Bible is very clear in Psalms and in Proverbs. It speaks about, for you are not a God who is pleased. Meaning you are not a God who delights with wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcome. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong, meaning sin. You destroy those who tell lies. The bloodthirsty and deceitful, you, Lord, detest, meaning 
the Lord abhors deceit. The Bible is very clear. It goes on in Psalm 11. It says, The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. And in Proverbs we learn in 6, 15, that there are six things that the Lord hates, seven things that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush to evil, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who stirs up conflict in the community, in the church. That God hates, he detests these kind of behaviors. The Lord detests, he detests the sacrifice of wicked, but the prayer of the upright pleases him. The Lord detests the way of the wicked, but he loves those who pursue righteousness. The Lord detests the thoughts of the wicked, but gracious words are pure in his sight. And that is a scary reality. That God is getting ready. That he says that he's getting ready to separate the goat and to the sheep. The lamb and the goats. The sheep to the right and then the goats to the left. Sheep right, goat left. To the right, he will say, all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another. As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And it says, come, you that are blessed by my Father, those who live a truly converted life and obey God, come and possess the kingdom which has been prepared for you ever since the creation of the world. And to the left, he will say, away from me, you that are under God's curse, away to the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. And it's very clear, the Bible is always about the crowd versus a true disciple. A crowd is what? Someone who's there for you only when you are, what's the word? P. Popular. That's a crowd. Disciple is, they're there with you. Through thick and thin, day in day out. They are faithful. Whether you're rich, whether you're popular, they have your back. Palestinian shepherds will separate the sheep and the goats at night. IVP Bible background commentary says, in pagan dream handbook, sheep were associated with good, while goats were associated with trouble. Sheep are very weak. They're very soft. They're not intelligent animals, right? And they're very cute. They will never start a fight. You will never see a sheep starting a fight, right? They will just like do their own thing. And as human beings, the Bible says we are like sheep and Jesus Christ is our shepherd. So sheep are symbolic of those who follow Christ while the goats represent those who reject Christ. It says that the difference between sheep and goats are those who pretend to love and to those who truly love. And we have to understand that in the world that we live in, we live in a world where there are too many pretenders, right? Sheep pretending to be goats, goats pretending to be sheep. And we can't tell who is real and who is not. But how do we tell who is real, who is not? According to Matthew, it says the difference is the sheep will show by their love. Goats will show by not loving, not showing in their action. So we understand the sheep for us as followers of Christ, we cannot be pretenders in the church because pretenders will not last. Pretenders will eventually get exposed and will be eventually be moved to the left side where the goats are. As Christians, you have to be more real than the world treats one another because eventually pretenders will devour each other 
and they will destroy the church to be devoured by the devil and by its worldly desires. And we have to understand the difference is for I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteousness to eternal life. He's talking to the goats. You did not do the work that I have called you to do to love, but to the sheep, they will be exalted and they will be allowed to enter into the eternal life of the kingdom of God. So now, let's get to the points. Let's get to the main points. I have six points for you today, and each point is very important. And number one, before we start, and I want you to ask the question, how do we remain faithful as a Christian? How do I avoid coming to a place of apostasy, the danger of apostasy? And I want you to reflect on these points. And these points are questions. So at the end, you're adding a question. And before the point, you're going to add, are you? So are you? And then we're going to do the point. So you do, are you? And then add the point. Okay, so now, number one. Are you, number one, living in costly grace? Turn to your neighbor and say, costly grace. Never cheapen the costly grace, the message of our Lord Jesus Christ. It always comes down to costly grace versus cheap grace. In the book, The Cost of Discipleship, it says that discipleship is everything. It's not just you give only the part that you want to give to God, but it's about giving God everything. In the book, The Cost of Discipleship, the anti-Nazi theologian pastor, his name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, He wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship, and he died at the age of 39 in prison. Think about it. At the age of 39, he died in prison. But he made such huge impact, not just in his time, but even transcended time. It encouraged even the pastors afterwards. And in that story that it says that he was hung at the end, at the age of 39, he died for the gospel because he stood. Again, he is a German pastor. He stood against the Nazi movement, which was the huge thing at that time, which happened with the World War II. We all know the history. But he stood his ground. In the book, The Cost of Discipleship, he wrote, and it says this, and I'm taking the quote from the book, and it says, Cheap grace means grace sold on the market like cheap jacks wears. The sacraments, the forgiveness of sin, and the constellations of religion are thrown away at cup prices. Grace is represented as a church's inexhaustible treasury from which she showers blessings with generous hands without asking questions or fixing limits. Grace without price, grace without cost. The essence of grace, we suppose, is that account has been paid in advance. And because it has been paid, everything can be had for nothing. Since the cost was infinite, the possibilities of using and spending it are infinite. What would grace be if it were not cheap? Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ. Living and incarnate. 
Costly grace is a treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciples leaves his nets and follows him. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again. The gift which must be asked for. The door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin. The grace because it justifies a sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. You are bought at a price. And what has caused God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son to dear a price to pay for our life, but deliver him up for, for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. It's the incarnation of God. Jesus calls us to be like sheep, to follow our shepherd. Why? Because you have been bought and redeemed by Jesus Christ, the ultimate sacrifice. 1 Corinthians 6 and 7 says that you are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You are bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Do not become slaves to the world. Become slaves to God. Everything comes with a price. Yes, salvation is free. Listen to me. Yes, salvation is free. Yes, grace is free. But that doesn't mean that we are really free to live, to do what, how we want to do. Because your life doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. It was bought with the price of his one and only son, Jesus Christ. MacArthur said that salvation is a free gift, but it costs us everything, everything, all that we have. When salvation comes, the Spirit of God comes, the Holy Spirit comes. When the Holy Spirit enters your life, you cannot help but to be changed. You cannot help yourself to be sanctified and to be renewed. You are justified in Christ. Ultimately, you live with Holy Spirit's conviction. Not, this is not it. Not, I obey. Therefore, I am accepted. But Christianity, true Christianity says, because I am accepted, I obey. The grace of God does not relieve me of my responsibility to be obedient. The grace of God makes possible my obedience, Pastor Ben. He said this. Remember, remember, we need to be aware that the grace that we have is costly grace. It is not cheap grace. Do not take for granted the blessing that you have. The blessing that you have. Amen? Number two, asking the question, are you? And then point number two is, let's repeat the question. Ready? One, two, three. Turn to your neighbor and say, remember who you are. And say, I'm Mufasa. No, don't say that. <laughs> remember who you are. What does he tell his son? To remember who you are. So today, I want you to take a moment 
Remember who you were yesterday. I don't mean like literally yesterday. I'm talking about the past. I want you to know who you are today. Know who you are. Know the grace. Know the sanctification. See the change that God has been doing in your life. Deuteronomy 5, Deuteronomy 15, Deuteronomy 24. God constantly reminds the people that remember that you were once slaves in Egypt. And the Lord your God redeemed you. Remember. You have to remember that you are a sinner saved by grace. You cannot forget. Just because you've been Christian for a long time, you've taken this blessing of grace and forgiveness and we take things for granted. We had it for a while now. It's okay. It's like getting that jewelry, that watch that you wanted for that long time. You save your whole savings and you finally get it. But you've forgotten the work that it took for you to get to that point, for you to get that jewelry. It's the same thing with grace. How can you forget? How can you forget the costly grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? Remember who you were yesterday and who you are today. Hebrews 10, 32 to 39 says this, that remember, remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. Other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffer along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. You'll be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you'll receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And by my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. What does it say? Remember, do not throw away your confidence. Verse 32, remember those earlier days after you have received the light, meaning when you have stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Are you forgetting? Think about everything we went through last year. Think about everything we went through this year. Think about everything that you've been through in your life. All the ups and the downs. Don't forget. Do not lose your confidence. When all these bad things that happened to you, when you were exposed to insults, persecutions, prison, property, being taken away, possessions taken away from you, joyfully, you were joyful because you knew that you had better and longer lasting possessions in God, in heaven, meaning your faith and joy and eternity is in heaven with God. Find your confidence in Jesus Christ. Find your confidence in your worth in God. Satan wants you to stay the way you are, in the broken state that you're in, lost and broken. But you have to remember that in God that there is always hope and restoration. You have to claim it back. Claim it back by remembering, remembering who you were. Remember who you are today. That God did not bring you this far so that you, he will let you down. Do not throw away your confidence. For it will be richly rewarded. For you are not a person who will shrink back apostasy. Don't go backwards. Go forward. Which leads to point number three. Are you? Turn to your neighbor and say, and ask the question. Are you? Going forward 
and grace. Come on, guys. Come on. Let's help with the energy and let's wake up. Okay? Let's wake up. The whole point of this message is for us to remember that our heart, we cannot let it become like a rock. Let us open up our heart, really listen to what God is saying to us right now at this moment. Okay, number three, again, turn to your neighbor and say, okay, ready? One, two, three. Fall forward in grace, never backwards. To the church of Galatia, in Galatians chapter 5, Paul asked the church, he says this, that you are running a good race. You're running a good race. Who caught in front of you and keep you from obeying the truth? Paul was saying that you have fallen from grace. What happened to me? What made my heart so hardened? You have to ask yourself, what made me turn out this way? What made my heart become so hardened to the point where I cannot hear and feel the presence of God? Because you've allowed sin to get in your body, in your mind. It says, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. You know, Angela, you bake. Little yeast, it becomes bigger and bigger. Your little sins and your compromises, it has grown. And let's be real for a second. Let's be real for a second that we all fall, yes? No one in this room have it all together. No one here. No one in this planet have it all together. But here is the reason why we need a Savior. Because we don't have what it takes. Because we fall, because we mess up. For this reason, we need a Savior. That's why as a child of God, we cannot get to a place where we deliberately, continually sin after having received the truth of the gospel. We cannot go backwards. We have to fall forward. This is a huge no in the kingdom of God. You have to fall forward in the grace of God because you will fall. But you need to fall in grace because whenever you fall, there is grace. His grace is more than enough to hold you. And you will be sitting in your seat, cozy, relaxed, and you may say, oh, I got tomorrow. You know, I'm pretty young. I got a good job. I'm making good money. You know, I got all the time in the world. Well, how wrong you are. How wrong you are. You are dead wrong, and you must wake up. Let's go to number four. Are you? Let's read number four together. Ready? One, two, three. <laughs> or are you brainwashed or extreme on only one end? You know, when you play a game, you choose your character, you choose, you get like certain amount of points and you choose, you know, I guess strength or speed or agility or whatever. And imagine if you're just only one thing, right? Then if you're fast, then what happens when you get hit? You die right away. One hit, one shot, you're dead. But if you're really strong, then what? And you're slow, then you'll get caught. So it's about being balanced in your Christian walk. So turn to your neighbor and say, be Thanos. And do the snap. Okay, you don't get it, do you? Okay. okay. If you get it, then wow, you're good. If you don't get it, then Google it, okay? What does it mean to be Thanos and to be balanced? Okay, literally, Antonia, write that on Google and search it, okay? Okay, now, as a Christian, always remember that you have to live a balanced life. Or else, you will have a higher chance of becoming too arrogant and too proud or too ignorant, too burnt out, too tired, and eventually you will burn out of ministry. In life, it's always about being balanced. Now, again, I'm not talking about being passionless. 
I'm talking about there's flip side, two sides of a coin in living a Christian life. First part, number one, is we have victory over sin. We have victory in Christ, yes. But if you flip the coin on the other side, whereas we are called to fight sin and its temptations. We are called to fight, but yet at the same time we have victory over sin. We have victory in Christ. Again, another example. We have been adopted into sonship and daughtership in Christ. We become royalties in Christ. Right? Like the Chronicles of Narnia, we are princes and princesses. We are royalties in God, but yet on the other side, flip side of that coin, it says we are called to be obedient as servants are to their master. The Bible calls us servants. On the other side of the coin, we are Gentile, innocent as a dove. But on the other side, we are called to be warrior, soldier, right? shrewd and wise. One side of the coin, Jesus Christ is the king. He is our utmost reverence for our king. On the other side, that Christ calls us into friendship, relationship. He calls us friends. I've called you friends, John 15, it says. So we have to remember that, yes, our salvation cannot be lost in Christ. Romans 8 says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sore? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors to him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What does Romans 8 tell us? That our salvation cannot be taken away. Nothing can take that salvation away the salvation you have with God. But on the flip side of that coin, Philippians 2.12 tells us to continue. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. Balanced. In NLT version, it says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. And we've talked about Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 many times. I pray and I hope that as a church we memorize this. For what? It is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are what? God's handiwork, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Meaning, yes, we're saved by grace, but we are also called to be his workers. Number five. Are you, and let's repeat number five, and this part is very important, and let's repeat it. One, two, three. Repenting all day and every day. Turn to your neighbor and say, all day. All day. Every day. Every day. Turn to, don't look at me, Rodney, please. Okay. <laughs> Turn to the other person and say, every day. Every day. All, day. all day. Repent. Are you repenting all day and every day? What is repentance? And this is important. I feel like as Christians, a lot of us, we get this wrong. Okay, so the question, what is repentance? If you don't know, you're going to know today. I will tell you what is not. Okay, what is not repentance? It is not an emotional experience. I'll say that again. It is not an emotional experience. You go to these retreats. You go to these events. People are crying. They're in tears. Again, that's the outward 
experience. It's an emotional experience. I'm not saying that's bad, but it is not an emotional experience. Within that emotion, it is a decision of the will. I'll say it again. Repentance is a decision of the will. It's about changing your mind. Repeat after me. Change your mind. It's a decision that you make. It's a decision and it's a question that you ask. Am I living to please myself or am I living to please God? It's a changing of your mind. Versus, It's an individual. It's a question asking an individual, are you living for himself or herself or are you living for God? An individual living for himself, one day, you know, realizing he's been wrong, he's been living with the wrong purpose all his life. Like he's, like let's say, let's give an example, a person who wants to be strong, you know, like David likes to work out, he wants to be strong, wants to be loyal to his friends, and you live for your friends, you live for your friendships, the friends that you have, but at the end, you realize everything changes because your mindset changes. And the best example of true repentance in the Bible is the Apostle Paul. His whole life, he believed that Christians were the enemies of God, right? That's why he was there when Stephen was stoned. He was there. His goal and his mission in life was to what? Prison, to put in prison Christians and to kill Christians. But when he met the living Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, his whole life changed. His mindset changed. Right now you're sitting in your seat, you're relaxed, and everything is good. You go on road trip, like let's say for example, Dan, Andy, Ronnie, Josh, Jonathan, Wes, and David. Uh, sorry, Brian, I almost didn't say your name. Brian, you guys all go on a road trip together. You guys get in the van. You're relaxed. You're going to go to Grand Canyon. And you're seeing this beautiful scenery on your way, and it's amazing. And your goal at that moment with your friends is what? To get to your destination, which is Grand Canyon. And you're thinking about having fun. You're thinking about what we're going to eat, hamburgers, pizza, or whatever. Get coffee on the way. It's fun. Your mindset is relaxed, just like you are relaxed right now. But what if I were to tell you that all of a sudden your car starts flipping over and over and over again? And you wake up. You're unconscious. You wake up. You see your friends hurt, dying. Some of them, they're dead already. Would your mindset change? Yes or no? Of course. Are you even thinking about Grand Canyon at that moment? No, at that moment, your mind has flipped. It's changed. Would your mind not change? Would your actions not change? Would your will not change? Your will was to get to that place of destination. Your goal was to have fun with your friends. But right now, it's about saving my friends. It's about me getting out of this car before anything worse happens. It's about changing your mind. It's not an emotional experience. It is a decision of your will. It's about changing your mind. It's a decision. You may be relaxed right now, but the question is, are you in repentance? Are you aware that there's enemies around you, surrounding you, seeking to destroy you? Repentance is foundation, everyone. You have to turn around and you need to turn back to God right now. Do not be double-minded in repentance. Do not live a divided lifestyle, divided personality. It's better for you to be lost fully, 100% in the world, than for you to live for God on Sunday today, and then on Monday you live for yourself. You have to live for God. And I want to ask you right now, if you're right now in an unrepentant state, 
Are you checking yourself? You better check yourself today. Compare yourself to yourself and ask yourself the question, where am I today? Who am I compared to last year or five years ago? Another best example of repentance is found in the story of Luke 15. We see the story of the prodigal son. And it says in that story, it says, when he came to his what? His senses, his mind woke up. He said, how many of my father's higher servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. It says, I will set out and go back again. It's action. It's not just a change of mind. But it's, mind, it's a mindset that leads to a change of your action. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your higher servants. So he got up and went to his father. He got up and went to his father. Again, he had humility, right? He didn't go back saying, Dad, if I could go back and be your second son again and have all the blessing I had in the past. No, he said, I am no longer worthy to be called your son, maybe like one of your higher servants. So he got up and went to his father with humility. And what was the result of his repentance? Here it is. And this is the, one of the most beautiful story, right here. It says in Luke 15, verse 20, so he got up, went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. That's repentance. That you were once dead, but now you are alive. It's not just a change of your mind, but it's a state of your mind that changes and that leads into action. He got up and went to his father. The father doesn't even allow him to finish the second part. Right? He says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He doesn't even let him finish. Make me like one of your servants. Because in the father's mind, in God's mind, he's not even thinking about that. He's thinking about your repentance. He's thinking about how you got up. Your mind changed. It's not an emotional thing where you're just crying. You're looking like you feel remorse and that's it. It's not fake repentance. It's true repentance. And it's always about worldly sorrow versus godly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is you're feeling remorse. You feel remorse. You feel bad. You do something. You sin. Okay, you feel bad and that's it. But you do it again anyway. You do it again and again. What happens eventually? Your heart will become hardened. And that's what happened with Judas. It says in Matthew 27 that when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was what? Seized with Remorse. Turn to your neighbor and say, remorse. remorse. This isn't repentance. And he returned the 30 pieces of silver. It's like stealing a chocolate, you know, returning it, of silver to the chief priests and the others. And he said, I have sinned, he said. 
for I betrayed innocent blood. And they're like, what is that to us? They replied, that's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. I believe at this point, you know, Judas came to a point where his heart has gone so far to the danger of apostasy that even though he felt remorse, it was not repentance. His heart had gone too far to the point of genuine repentance. Judas had worldly sorrow, yes, but where was godly sorrow? He never had godly sorrow. Godly sorrow is biblical. It's found in 2 Corinthians 7.10. It says, Godly sorrow brings repentance, which leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. And what happened here with the story of, of Judas here? He had worldly sorrow. And therefore, his result, the end result of his life was death. The human heart that is in an unrepentant state is a dangerous state. I'll say it again. If your heart is in an unrepentant state, you are in the most dangerous state. This type of heart, it does not glorify God. God gives you opportunities every day, every day, every day for you to repent. Even now, as you're sitting here in your seat, comfortable, cozy, relaxed, He's giving you an opportunity right now to repent. Yes, God is patient, loving, and kind. Yes, he is. And he, we see it all throughout the Bible. God is patient with Pharaoh. You know, Pharaoh, he, was, he had an impenitent heart. You know, therefore, Pharaoh was never able to see the truth. For 400 years, God was patient. This is after Joseph. And then it says that Lord hardened in Exodus 9.12, that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord has said to Moses. When we stay in that place, God will harden your heart. Not God will harden your heart, but your heart will be hardened to the point where you won't even know if God is speaking to you. God could do everything. He could send you miracles and all that. But if your heart is hardened, you will not listen. That's why in Romans 1, 28, it says, God gave them over to a depraved mind. What's a depraved mind? It's an abandoned mind. He abandoned them to their foolish thinking. It's a foolish mind. And let them do things that should never be done. Again, repentance is what? change of mind action put it into action how often all day every day I am repenting every day for myself impenitence is the most dangerous place for we are kept from seeing and hearing the truth if you have an impenitent heart it means you have a heart like vibranium nothing will penetrate nothing's going to penetrate and to that point, you've gone too far. You've gone too far. And that's what impenitence means. Luke 12, 10, But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Will not be forgiven. What does that mean, blasphemes against the Holy Spirit? Meaning it's a person who continues to live in rebellion. 
in their conduct, in their thoughts, and in their words. They're denying Jesus Christ. They're rejecting grace. They're rejecting redemption. They're pushing away the Holy Spirit. It's a recipe of total spiritual disaster. Pushing away the Holy Spirit's convictions and the working of the Holy Spirit leads to the worst things. For the men, if you're diving into lust and you're watching pornography and while you're watching, you're okay and it doesn't bother you and your heart is not moved, and I promise you, when you watch images and things long enough, it will become natural. And if you're not moved with repentance, then you are in a very, very dangerous place. You have to check yourself right now. Where are you in your heart? Impenitence is the most dangerous place where we are kept from seeing and hearing the truth. Hardened heart, impenitent heart, unrepentant heart, they all fall under the same category. Luke 12, 10 says, anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Last point. Thank you for staying here with me. Um, As we get to the last point, eventually I'm going to ask the priest to come up. But I had to put this in there. And it's, it's the most important question. It's the most important question. It's the most important answer that you will ask yourself and you will answer for yourself for all of eternity. Are you? Are you? And let's repeat the word. Ready? One, two, three. Saved. Let's turn to your neighbor and say, are you saved? saved? Today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. Today. Meaning, while you're alive right now, while you have breath at this moment, while your heart is still beating and ticking, today is the day of salvation. It says, tomorrow is not promised to any one of us. That today is a day of repentance. That salvation is now. And all of life comes down to this one thing. It's to know my God and to be known by my God. It's to know Him. It's to have a relationship with Him. That's what it means to be saved. To have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It says in 2 Corinthians 6.2, For it says, In the time of my favor I heard you, in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Indeed, the right time is now. Now, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. It says, today, if only you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart. It says in Psalm 95. When you hear his voice today, do not harden your heart as you did at Meribah, meaning there's quarreling, as you did that day at Massa, testing in the wilderness. Do not harden your heart. If you hear his voice today, do not harden your heart. Acts 3.19 says, repent and then turn to God. Repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You must turn to God today on this earth. You will never find anyone else like him. You will never. At this time, as we're on this last question, last number, are you saved? If you could just bow your heads with me at this time. Cast away every distraction right now. 
all the noise, all the worries and all the doubts, lay it aside right now. Look to God and look to Him alone and that's it. Right now at this time, let's take a moment to ask ourselves the question, am I saved? Am I saved? The Bible is very clear that now, today, is a day of salvation. That today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. It says, today, repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That times of refreshing may come from God. That it comes from God. So right now, at this time, right now, while you have breath, right now, at this moment, we need to turn to God. For on this earth, you will never find anyone else like Him. So the question, am I saved? Am I saved? The Bible is very simple. The Bible is very clear in how we become saved. The Bible says in Acts 16 that you must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The Bible is very clear that for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible is very clear that the wages of sin is death. But, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You mean to tell me that I am not lost in my sins? I'm not lost in this lifetime? Yes. The answer is Jesus Christ. That says anyone who, who calls on the name of Jesus, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and if you believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead you will be saved for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved that when you repent of your sins everyone listen to me when you repent of your sins that there will be forgiveness of your sins there will be forgiveness of your sins. That when you repent and you turn back to God, that He will He promises us in Ezekiel 11, in Ezekiel 36, that He will give us a new heart and put a new spirit in us. And He will remove from us a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. What's the difference between a heart of stone and a heart of flesh? Heart of flesh means you are able to feel. You are alive again. You are alive. You have a living heart right now you have a dead heart you have been diving your sins so long that you don't even realize that you are in a very dangerous place your heart has become so hardened to the point where you do not hear the message of God you are falling asleep you are not hearing the message that God has for us right now you must wake up just the analogy I gave you are relaxed you are too relaxed you are on your way to Grand Canyon what if I were to tell you that an accident occurred? What would you do at that moment? Would you be relaxed too? Would you not worry about the friend that is next to you? The friend next to you that is dying? Or yourself, the injury that you have? Or the burning, the engine as the car is burning? Are you not, are you not anxious? Are you not going to put into action to make that step? To not just rescue yourself, but to rescue your friends? Would you not? If you stay there and you say, oh, this is it for me, that's it, I'm done. There's no hope for me. Then you are a fool. If you are alive today and you have the action to be able to put it into action, 
that we must do so right now at this time. For today is a day. For today is a day of salvation. Right now is a moment that God has given us. Tomorrow is not promised to any single one of us. Right now, today is a day of salvation. We must turn to the Lord. The impenitent heart. The heart that blasphemes the Holy Spirit. The danger of apostasy. Let's just come and repent before God. Let's ask the Lord for forgiveness. To forgive us of our sins. And let's turn from our ways. Let's turn around from our ways. Turn back to the Lord. Run back to the Father. Run back to your Father as the prodigal son did. Run back to Him. Change your mind. Run to Him. Let's pray together. you to place your right hand to the left side of your chest, your heart representing your life. 
and with humility and with conviction and with an open heart we're going to ask the Lord to transform us and renew us right now the heart and heart we're going to ask God for a heart transplant a new heart a heart of flesh no longer a heart of stone I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh your old heart is not is not good it's not strong enough your heart cannot save yourself your own heart is too weak Jeremiah 17 says the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure who can understand it it is desperately sick who can understand your own heart it is here today and it is at another place the next day up and down up and down that's what your heart does that's why do not trust your heart do not follow your heart but lead your heart by faith lead it take it to the place of repentance that when you repent the promise that is given that he will pour out that he will give us a new heart and a new spirit in us that he will remove from us the heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh so right now as our hand is to our heart let's repent let's ask the Lord let's take the new heart in faith believe that you are a new creation in Christ the old has gone the old has passed away and you must fall forward in grace let's receive the new heart with conviction let's continue praying let's pray together Oh, God.
sacrifice for sins is left but only a fearful expectation of judgment and a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses how much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the son of God underfoot who has cheated as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge. I will repay it, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of eternal sin. From this time, many of his disciples turned back, apostasy. They turned back and no longer followed him. Father, you did not lead us this far so that, God, you could lead us down. You could let us down, God. You brought us this far so that, God, we could become stronger and, God, we could finish the race. We could only be strong in you. In the world, God, may seem like we're getting weaker and weaker but in the spirit God we're being stronger for God you are with us the one who is in us is stronger and greater than the one who is out in the world God more of you and less of me more of you and less of me oh God transform us God let our church be a church that is full of Holy Spirit's conviction that is sensitive to your convictions, God, that our heart will be softened to receive and to hear your word, to hear your voice. For today is a day of salvation. Father, forgive us of our sins. We run back to you as a prodigal son did. We run back to you with a sense of urgency. God, that repentance requires action. It's a change of mind. It's the will. Understanding that, God, it's not just the mind, but, Lord, it's about putting it into action. Turning back to you, God. We were running the race faithfully. Who caught in front of you? Who made you discouraged? Who made you fall backwards? You need to fall forward. Fall forward in grace. We're ahead is where his grace lies his grace covers your past his grace covers your present his grace covers your future father we stand in your presence nothing will separate us from the love of Jesus Christ and at the same time you called us to 
work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So every day, God, we will seek you and run after you. Watch over us in this day and age when it's so easy to lose focus with social media, with distractions, left and right. Oh, God, without you, who can stand? Without you, who can stand? We need you today. Not just for today, but for tomorrow and for the rest of our lives. We look to you, Jesus. We love you. We thank you. I pray all these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ, in my prayer. And God's people pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen.